Mother and child, come with me. Sisters young and old, now we see. Let's all come together. Mm -hmm. Come together. From Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Wildlife and the wild woman are both endangered species. Over time, we have seen the feminine instinctive nature looted, driven back, and overbuilt. For long periods, it has been mismanaged like the wildlife and the wild lands. But healthy wolves and healthy women share certain psychic characteristics. Keen sensing, playful spirit, and a heightened capacity for devotion. Wolves and women are relational by nature, inquiring, possessed of great endurance and strength. They are deeply intuitive, intensely concerned with their young, their mate, and their pack. They are experienced in adapting to constantly changing circumstances. They are fiercely stalwart and very brave. They have been the targets of those who would clean up the wilds as well as the wildish environs of the psyche, extincting the instinctual and leaving no trace of it behind. So we just finished reading Women Who Run With The Wolves in our book club, and we're going to be discussing it in the next three episodes. For those of you who may not have read this book, please take my advice and go out and buy it. This book is life-changing for women. It's inspiring. It's full of wisdom. It is, the writing is poetic. Clarissa is essentially calling all women to rise up and reclaim the wild woman that we are, that we used to be before we were persecuted for this kind of awareness and this kind of knowledge. And she's calling us to reconnect with our feminine instinctual nature, which I know for many women is something that we still struggle with. And we have invited our friends in our book club that read this book with us to talk about their favorite chapters, to talk about why they liked the chapter that they did, what kind of stuff did it bring up for them, and why did they think that the chapter was meaningful in their lives. We've also asked some of them to share poetry because the one thing that I think is true about this book is that it's very difficult to read it without being inspired to do something creative. So many women in the book club actually were inspired to write poetry for the first time, or maybe not for the first time, but it, it had been perhaps a while that, since they had allowed themselves to do something creative. And so we've asked for them to come on and read their poetry or maybe share a song that they wrote. So this episode is going to be a little bit different than all the other episodes, but we hope that you enjoy. Burning log. Take this place for everyone in the river beneath gray pebbles. Her mouth sweating, eyes. 
and the fire within her lashes. She cursed her orange-golden flowery pico heart from unfaithful hands. She smeared her third eye, a gush of storm, kissing comets against the Rangpo River shores, and, trembling like a meteor, she drank Tongba. She should have never started swallowing the effect of the shadows. It was etched and spanked like rhododendrons spilling in the crow feet of her crawl. Her withered drum and the black silence like a hood stood back, returning like maiden names one after another. Where is the nail? And her hands rose to one single caress. Take her away from the morning sun. She swung away from her breath, her linen fabric dragging her down and restoring her mourning. She gripped her letters given to her and learned to read with another mouth, touch backwards with her glands and the rising crimson azaleas. How she wanted to scrape and leave the race to go back home, where her growing body was left to fend the forest fires, the monsoon rains, and the smell of death in every burning log. That was Burning Log by Edwitty Hafner. The first story that we're going to be talking about is entitled The Doll in Her Pocket, Vasilisa, the Wise. And this is in chapter three. This story is kind of a Cinderella story in that Vasilisa seems to be a Cinderella character. She lives with her stepmother and her two stepsisters and they mistreat her. And in fact, in order to get rid of her, they send her out into the woods to bring back firewood because they've run out of firewood and, and food and they can no longer, I mean, they're on the verge of perhaps starvation. Vasilisa, of course, accepts this task and she goes out into the woods. But what happens to her is that she comes across the old lady, Baba Yaga. And Baba Yaga is a magical woman who lives in a magical house in the woods and really offers Vaselina a chance to grow up and come into herself. Strangely, she has to do chores and things for Baba Yaga, and Baba Yaga's attitude is a little bit harsh towards her, but in the end, she teaches her some valuable lessons, and she sends her back home with the fiery skull that she needs in order to essentially light fire to the house in which she lived. And so that's one part of the story. The other part of the story is, is her real mother gave her a doll when she died, when her mother died, gave Vasilisa a doll. And Vasilisa carries this doll in her pocket. And this doll really represents her intuition that has been damaged in her life and that she reaches into her pocket in order to, to make decisions. And so ultimately it becomes a story about Vasilisa relying on her own intuition, well, learning the lesson that Baba Yaga teaches her and relying on her intuition and coming home and killing her stepmother and her stepsister. So it's also about letting go of those that wish you harm in your life. So there's lots of different layers going on. But so in order to talk about this story, my first guest, of course, is my friend Brinkley. So Brinkley, before we get started, do you want to say something really quick about yourself? Sure. 
My name is Brinkley, and I have lived in this community for almost my whole life. I was born here. And I'm excited to talk about this book, Women Who Run With the Wolves, because it has sparked a lot of thought for me personally. And this book has been here with me at multiple points in my life where I have found it really a good reminder for returning to myself and my intuition. So I'm not really excited to talk about this chapter because there are times when I definitely ignore my intuition, but this chapter really speaks to me. Can you elaborate a little bit then on ignoring your intuition? Well, sometimes the voice inside can be, can say the truth and the truth can be really uncomfortable. And, um, and when you hear the truth, you know, you need to do something about it. And sometimes the consequences of acting on the truth or the perceived consequences make it feel like maybe I'll just ignore my intuition on this one and just keep going because that seems like the easier route. And that's one of the points that Clarissa raises in this chapter is daring to go the distance, daring to listen to your intuition, even when it's uncomfortable. Essentially, she talks about the little girl's mother who dies, the too good mother, and letting go of that too good mother in our own psyche, and to then be brave enough to break out of that and to follow your own intuition. And to let that too good mother go so that you can venture out into the world and have uncomfortable experiences as well. Yes. I mean, that's where the growth happens. Yeah. Is stepping out into the unknown and trusting one's inner voice, which it feels really good when I actually do that in my life. And there's been lots of growth and many, many great things that have happened in my life when I listen to that voice. And then there's the discomfort of Sometimes I don't want to listen to that voice. And so I find that that's always a question for myself of when to act upon, you know, that inner voice and inner knowing. And when maybe it's fear speaking, sometimes it's hard to distinguish the difference. And you asked that question in our book club when we were talking about this book. And I thought that was a really good question, which is when is your intuition? How do you know if your intuition is intuition or fear? Yeah. Do you have an answer to that question? (laughs) No, no. I mean, that's a question I ask myself often, you know, whether that's a business venture and I'm scared to take the next step into the unknown or, um, I mean, always taking a step into the unknown brings up uncomfortable thoughts and feelings and that's just part of being human. And so I guess the question that I ask myself and have been asking myself for a while is when is that inner voice, when is it simply fear, which is a normal human response and thought pattern that keeps us you know the that inner voice can keep us safe you know it's the it's there to keep us safe and whether we need to listen to that in that moment or whether that's a hindrance or if it's just an indicator that we're up to something big I don't know you know I ask I go back and forth on that so that makes me want to ask you this next question though do you consider yourself as having a damaged intuition Because she talks a lot about the damaged intuition and why it's so hard for us to listen to it. And those that might have a more damaged intuition might be less trained to listen and to be more confused. Do you feel like you have a damaged intuition? (laughs) Um, There have definitely been times in my life where my intuition 
I didn't know how to listen to it. You know, it's like I had to learn how to listen to that voice and follow through on it. And I feel like it. I go in cycles in my life. You know, I'll be very true to myself for a cycle. And then maybe the next cycle, I'll ignore a few things, you know, with goals in my life or important things in my life, taking action on those things. And then I'll get back on track. It feels like it's an into an evolution over time. I never feel like I'm perfect. Like, oh, I got it. You know, I'm listening to my intuition and I will from here on out. It's um, complicated. I feel that way too. And she talks about cycles. And I wonder if some of that feeling like you have to have it all the time, that when you are in that process of cycling through, you might feel like, oh no, I've let myself down again. I'm not listening to my intuition. I'm not doing what I need to do. Maybe that's natural. That part is actually natural so that you can perhaps rest and gather your strength and gather your thoughts so that when you are ready to listen to your intuition and tackle that big whatever it is that you're facing, you have the energy for it rather than seeing it as something linear. We've always got to be ready for the next thing. Always, always, always pushing ahead. Like that's, I don't know how many people can really sustain that and do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I see what you're saying. Because I always feel like I'm in cycles too. I always feel like I'm doing great for, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks and then I plummet. Yeah. (laughs) And then I feel fear and anxiety and overwhelming emotions. And then I rest and then I have energy again. And I used to fight that all the time and feel really bad about myself when I was more down than up. But now I kind of see it as... A, like a little bit of a um, uh, a cocoon, like a yeah. little cocoon, right? Yeah. So that when you are ready to come out into the world and do that, you have the energy to yes. do it. And I find that when I get quiet and take that rest, then that's when, you know, my inner voice or intuition or whatever you want to call it, that's when that's strongest and that's when it's clearest. Yeah. Sometimes though... Maybe we get in situations that are just flat out not good for us, though. And our intuition wants us to do something different, but we don't know how, so we don't listen. Yeah. Is that maybe That's happened to me before. That happens to me all the time, too. Yeah. (laughs) Especially in relationships. I find that I can take on challenges in the outside world pretty, pretty easily. Well, not easily, but I can do it. But relationships is a whole nother thing. I have a really hard time with relationships. Yeah, well, they're complex. And when you go to do something that'll change the status quo, that's scary. You don't know what's on the other side. You don't know how that's going to impact the relationship. And at some points, we take the action and then oftentimes we're surprised at the result. I know I have been, you know, there might be something that I was worried about saying to someone in my life. But then when I said it, it felt so good to say it. And it was true what I said. And, and it ended up not being the, you know, our brains can think of catastrophic results of speaking our voice or doing something that is against the cultural norm or. Well, she talks about with this story in particular, the young girl, Vasilisa, who has to go out into the woods and meet Baba Yaga, she's taking on a, well, she's having to let go of her too good mother and find sort of another mother. And she has to be willing to enter into the cycle of the life-death-life cycle, the letting go of things that aren't good for you in order to find the things that are good for you. And I think that when we have to speak up for ourselves, 
in relationships, essentially what we're doing is we're letting that life-death life cycle happen. Some things have to die and not necessarily the relationship has to end, but maybe the relationship dynamic has to shift and change. And that's scary because our intuition's telling us that something's wrong. And if we listen to it and we tell the other person, hey, something's wrong here, they may come back and not validate us and say, well, you're crazy or you're reading something else into this and that's not the situation. And they may be resistant to shifting that dynamic because maybe that dynamic was working for them. And that's all really challenging. And essentially that's what the young girl in this story has to do because she's trapped at home with her stepmother and stepsisters, kind of like the Cinderella story where they're using her as a slave and abusing her and essentially has sent her off to die because they don't think she's actually going to complete her quest and come back. But she does with that, you know, lighted skull that shows her the way that shows her the truth. Yeah. And it sees what they're really, what they're really capable of and made of and it kills them. Yeah. I know. So, it's such a great story. It is a great story. It's so hard, though, to do that. Yes. Yes. Intuition is so interrelated with trust. And it's like if you trust yourself and trust yourself to take care of yourself and trust that, you know, I will be safe no matter what, then it's easier to act on what our inner voice or intuition says. In a way, it's like you put your power in the hands of someone else. You know, it's, it's, and that's way too much of a burden to put on someone else, your safety and feeling of well-being in the world. I mean, no one can take that on for someone else. That's true. And also, you, if you can't trust yourself, you can't trust your needs. And if you can't trust your needs, you can't speak up for your needs and ask for the things that you need. Well, she talks a lot about the damaged intuition and that you can recover that yes. damaged intuition. But I think that you have to really be conscious of that because if you're not conscious, first of all, that your intuition is damaged, I think that you can second guess yourself all the time. And I speak from personal experience, I second guess myself all the time. But I think that a part of recovering that intuition is learning how to listen to your needs and asking and and telling people what those needs are. And then hopefully over time, that starts to, you know, your intuition starts to mend and you start to trust your own self again. And I think that once we start to trust ourselves and other people can trust us and know how to meet us where we are, because I can't imagine what it must be like for the other person on the other side of that, who is looking at somebody who can't trust their own intuition, doesn't know what they want, doesn't know how to ask for what they want, is probably making demands on that person that they cannot meet. And so all of it's very confusing. You end up in a very difficult relationship on both sides. Yeah. So it's worthwhile to try to follow your intuition. And I think that we can have compassion for the fear and the worry, you know, that our brains create because that is just part of being human. And, um, yeah, and whether we choose to listen to the fear and let it stop us or not and us keep going I mean I don't know maybe that's just part of figuring out how to be human and navigate life yeah (laughs) is that an ending point for us I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I think so we have since we have to keep these relatively brief thank you for sharing all of this with me Brinkley well thank you for having me 
We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Fem Sound. Mother and child, come with me. Sisters young and old, now we see. Let's all come together. The blue bruise purple shades of me too. It was only three blue irises ago. Worship fell short. The lightning bolts of disgrace ripple seared inside lobes. Nuclear power plant about to blow. You caught the blue poison in your butterfly stomach, crawling like star-nosed moles. Untamed blind itches, a silent scalpel slicing open your tongue. Neither moved to shield your barefoot voice against the murmur of absent fight. Kisses landed like pounding bullets into the sap of your songs making holes through. No! He said, shh, as you awoke and swung like a black pendulum against his chest, hands trembling, holding the shaft of shame. Hushed tongue left at dusk. You summoned yourself. The sound of your skin had not returned from his belly, his belt, his loins, his lust. You sprang from your wrath, wings flapping, abandoning the salt of silence. And one by one ripened me-toos like lunar lotuses from the deep cesspool, winged mouths of bristling dawn, purge. So I have Elodia with me. Hi, Lee. Thank you so much for joining me. Elodia is my friend. And she's a member of our book club. Mm-hmm. And she's here to talk today about her favorite story in Women Who Run With the Wolves, which is about red shoes. And uh, this story is located in Chapter 8, which is entitled Self-Preservation, Identifying Leg Traps, Cages, and Poisoned Bait. So, Elodia, I'll just go ahead and ask you, why is this one your favorite? Oh, gosh. There were so, so many good stories in this book that I related to, and uh, it came at such a good time in my life to be able to read it and understand so many of the experiences that I have gone through and being able to relate and see myself in so many of the stories. But this one in particular really related to my mom, and I would have to say that She was the quintessential wild woman. She knew exactly who she was, and she made no apologies for that. Very comfortable in her own skin, very much ahead of her time. I wouldn't say that she considered herself a feminist, but she very much was. She very much embodied that and encouraged all of her children, but especially her daughters, to be strong, independent women 
and to stand up for what was right and what they believed in and that we all had the ability to do anything that we wanted to and anything that we desired to do. One of my mom's trademark outfits was her red cowboy boots. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> she wore those religiously. Uh, if you asked anybody around the town of Fairhope about Diane Arnold, they would tell you, oh, she's the one in the cowboy boots. I'm like, yes, that was my mom. So uh, she had several different pair, but she always had a red pair. And I never really understood that, of course. She was so different. And I, as a young girl, I was just so embarrassed of my mom. Like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe she's wearing that outfit. Who is she? But when I started reading this story, I really, I understood. So that was her ability to just be yourself. And to say, this is who I am, I'm okay with that, and you can take me or leave me. And that was a great way for her to be and a great example for her to be able to share with us. Um, I went through a phase of my life where I was very wild, and I absolutely loved red shoes. Wore them you everywhere. were wild alone? <laughs> no! <laughs> I didn't know that. Tell me about when you were wild. <laughs> um, well, I had a difficult time. I wanted to conform. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to fit into the box and be the woman that I thought that society deemed would be okay. So I went to work at a bank and was a branch manager and did all the right things. Um, got married had a child, and was checking off all the boxes that were supposed to be checked off in order to be happy and successful and live by the way that society currently deemed was the right way to live. And um, I turned 30, and my sister gave me a photo album for my 30th birthday. Um, this was nine years after my mom had died. And it was all pictures of her and our life growing up, and it broke down that wall that I had built. And I realized exactly how unhappy I was and how much unlike myself I was. And I was trying to fit into a box that I would, didn't fit into, you know? Um, so I ended up separating from my husband and seeking a divorce. And I started wearing red shoes. And things got a little out of hand. <laughs> oh, so this is when you started to get wild. Not yes. before you conformed, but after you conformed. Yes. Okay. After I conformed, yes. And um, just reading this story and looking back at my some of my actions and how I was just showing off, you know, you can't control me. Here I am you know, doing things on my own and thumbing my nose at, essentially thumbing my nose at society. It didn't necessarily work out well for me. So when I read the story about the red shoes and the little girl that just danced and danced and danced until she ended up as a cripple because of her desire to do the things 
that were not necessarily good for her. So what I learned from the story is it is okay and it is necessary to be creative. And we need to create and we need to feed that part of our soul. But there has to be balance as well. And that is what my mom was trying to teach us, is that it's okay to be eccentric. It's okay to be yourself. It's okay to wear the red shoes, but there has to be balance. Do you think that you had that need to conform because of your mother being so outrageous, because you were so embarrassed by her when you were young? Is that why you took that path? Yes. um, In high school, I rebelled against her. But your rebellion is the opposite of most people's rebellion. Most people are rebelling against conformity. Are you <laughs> rebelling against nonconformity? Well, I, I rebelled against her conformity during high school, and then she passed away. While you were in high school? I was 21. 21, okay. She passed away when I was 21, and um, at that point, I felt like I needed to conform. And be maybe more stable and responsible. Yeah. At that point, I had um, was charged with taking care of my dad, who was elderly and had to have a caretaker. So from 21 to uh, the time he died, I was taking care of him. How many years was that? Three and a half years. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. That warrants <laughs> some conformity there, I think. Yeah. That's a slap of reality. Very much so. Hmm. Very much so. Well, she titles, she titles the chapter Self-Preservation, but the first subtitle is The Feral Woman. I like how she talks about the starved soul or the injured intuition or the intuition mm-hmm. that's been injured. Absolutely. And that's in the story, the young girl. Well, one of the things that I, I think we should point out about this story, and I didn't know this until I did some research this morning about the original Hans Christian Andersen story. The original story that he wrote, I wouldn't say that's the original Red Shoes story, but that was the one that became the most popular, the one that people keep coming back to. The young girl didn't make her own shoes. They were made by an old woman cobbler. Oh, interesting. And so, but her story, Clarissa's story that she tells was the story that I think what her aunt told her when Mm -hmm. she was younger. Yes. And in her version of the story, the little girl makes her own shoes. And that's really important because that sets up the framework for Clarissa to really talk about how important it is to hold on to your original creative spirit and and, and protect it so Mm -hmm. that it isn't tainted by society, by the need to conform. And then... And then once she, the little girl, so the little girl makes her own shoes in her story. And then the old woman that comes to save her, the wealthier woman in the carriage, you know, burns her shoes. Yeah, takes that away from her, takes her creation away from her. Yeah, essentially takes her creation away from her. And it's interesting in that sense because, because Clarissa is arguing that we all have this innate intuition, creativity, wild woman naturally within us and it's it's not until we get out into the world that we and that begins to be judged by others that we begin to repress Mm -hmm. that or like in your case 
we feel the need to become more responsible and take on these roles that society deems uh, appropriate for a woman and right. even more responsible for a woman. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, and I think what I did, I took on too much and you see that I see that so often with women and particularly women in the South. Now that we have the ability to work, we have the ability to have the career we still hold ourselves responsible and think that we need to be responsible in the home as well. So we go to work and we work our 40 to 50 hours a week, but yet we're still raising children. We're still the primary caretaker of the home, making sure everybody is scheduled, making sure the kids are to dance practice or wherever they need to be. In addition to making sure the home is cleaned and the meals are cooked and on the table because it was, it's like, yes, sure, you can go and you can go work, but you still have to make sure that you do all of your other responsibilities as well. And that's especially true if you're in a partnership with somebody. Well, first of all, if you're not in a partnership with, with, well, yeah, with somebody and you've gone through a divorce and you're raising the kids, either on your own or doing all this through joint custody, or if you're with a partner where it's not equal, where the domestic responsibilities and the child care isn't. 100% equal. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that leaves little room for your creative ideas and energy to flow. Mm -hmm. First of all, to flow. Right. <laughs> and then if they are flowing, Minimizes the flowing. to be able to honor it and yes. have time to do something with that. That's, that's huge. That's huge for me too. Yeah. I've experienced that a lot as well. But the other part of that is when I remember, especially when I was first pregnant with my, our first, I had my first child and I was a young mother. And shortly after that, I had my second child. They're only like two and a half, almost three years apart. But in that space, that those early years of being a mother, I remember feeling this simultaneous, like this complete joy for what I was doing in, in understanding the value of what I was doing and seeing that as like its own creative endeavor that if I just treated it as such, I could go so far with it. You know, I could be such a creative, innovative mother. I could do all these amazing things with my children, like, you know, spend this kind of time with them, teach them, teach them these things and, you know, take them to these places and, you know, basically just be fully immersed in that role as mother. But as that was happening, also, there's this little voice in the back of my head saying, okay, but yes, you have to do something really important out in the world. You have to do... You have to be creative and put that creativeness out in the world. And that looks like a painting or that looks like a photograph that you can sell or that looks like, you know, getting more education and right. getting a job and proving yourself. There's this need to validate, improve that creativity in such a way that wasn't being reflected in motherhood in my children. So anyway, I say all that to say that I understand this this mm -hmm. dilemma that you're feeling that is well and for me I was always um felt like I had to make my mark in the business world and so I was attempting to fit into a whatever role you know I thought I could do in the business world and that was taking precedent over my role as a mother and now what I am having to do is balance that role out, still have a business, st still be mother, and still find time to be true to myself. Because what happened with me, 
I was repressing um, any creativity that I had and was solely focused on being a breadwinner and not, not that that can't be a creative side because absolutely it can. And that's what I'm finding out now is that I can allow my creativity to come out in the business world and I can use my creative side in order to support myself and to support my children and to provide the life that I want for them. I think losing my mom at such a crucial stage in my life where I was just at the brink of womanhood and really, that is the other part of the book that really rang true to me is that I lost that figure in my life that should have been there to guide me through choosing a husband, giving birth, and I essentially had to do it all on my own. I've had women that have stepped in and have assisted me through that period, but I don't relate to them. I have very much felt like I'm trying to be like them. I'm trying to follow their example, but they're not my tribe. They're not my people. And so in a way, it's still me trying to fit into a box that I don't really fit into. So that has to be so hard. Your story is very similar in the sense to the red shoes because she loses her mother and the red shoes can symbolize that transition into womanhood, Mm -hmm. sexuality, menstruation, giving birth to a child, and she's left alone without a mother figure, or she has the old woman who can't see very clearly. (laughs) Like you're saying, in a sense, someone who's willing to come in and step in and help, but that doesn't really fully see well, see you or they see... don't see me and they want me to be the way that they are. Mm. And so when I divorced, it was even left more alone because I then you know, had a mother-in-law that was very upset and didn't understand me. You know? Mother-in-laws <laughs> are hard. Hard <laughs> anyway. can be like, can be like <laughs> the, step, the evil stepmother and all these old fairy tales. They can be really... Yeah, challenging, and especially if they have an idea of what they want you to be and you don't fit that, and they can never really fully reconcile their idea of their perfect daughter-in-law to the actual daughter-in-law. So I think that's what the book club has done for me, is it has allowed me to connect with, with women in the Fairhope area that think more along the lines that I do. And that has been a huge blessing in my life is to know that I'm not alone yeah me too I feel like that too with the book club I came here I had gone through a divorce and my parents live nearby and I needed help my children were four and six somewhere around those ages so I, I needed a help yeah. from them but when I came here I was so nervous about not being able to find community in my tribe because I would say that my tribe would be those that are on the fringes of society. And I'm, I'm proud of that now. When I was younger growing up, I wasn't so proud of that. And it took me a long time to realize that 
what I was seeking was was valuable and that and that kind of like what Clarissa is saying I was seeking more people that were more in tune with their intuition and their creative spirit and not conforming I've always been a non-conformist but you know when I got here I'm well first of all I met my partner who is very much in line with my ideology and in the way that I want to live my life and he's very creative and he's an artist and we have a creative lifestyle but then a few years after meeting him I started the book club and met a bunch of wonderful women and we've been going strong for a couple of years now mm-hmm. and I I just want to continue to have it and and provide these kinds of spaces for other women like us and it and it it flows we have new people that come into our book club every month and and some of them don't stay, some of them come and go, but they all say the same thing, which is that it's so nice to be around people that are like them and to feel like they're not alone. Absolutely. And I think that was one of the things I really loved about this chapter in the book and Clarissa's take on the little girl and her making her own red shoes and being okay with that. And it wasn't until she put on those shiny uh those really shiny leather shoes that someone else had made for her that she got. And then of course she, the man in the church who tapped on her shoes and told her she was going to keep dancing that it became that that she got out of hand with it. Right. And couldn't control it herself. But up until that point, I really love the take on her making her own red shoes essentially. So just one last point I wanted to talk about was the importance of play. And I was having a discussion with my 11 year old this morning And I was explaining to her all my responsibilities as an 11-year-old. And um, I was responsible for getting up and making sure the horses and chickens were fed every morning. And I had to um, go to school then. And then I had to clean my dad's office. And I had to ride my bike there and back a couple of times a week. And that was my job. That was my responsibility. And I'm way more responsible than she was, than she is at 11. I had way more responsibility. And I was explaining to her, I was looking at it, I'm like, but what that really did for me, it made it to where I spent all this time doing my chores and working and not really playing. And she brought the point, she's like, well, play is really important. And adults today, they don't let us just play. You know, and y'all are taking away our childhood. So there's a paragraph in here that I'd like to read. Okay. It is play, not properness, that is the central artery, the core, the brainstem of creative life. The impulse to play is an instinct. No play, no creative life. Be good, no creative life. Sit still, no creative life. Speak. Think, act demurely, little creative juice. Any group, society, institution, or organization that encourages women to revile the eccentric, to be suspicious of the new and unusual, to avoid the fervent, the vital, the innovative, to impersonalize the personal, is asking for a culture of dead women. That's so good. And it's so good that you brought that up about your daughter because I just had a similar conversation with my son yesterday. Well, thank you so much, Elodia, for for sharing your favorite story and talking with me about your personal life and your experiences. And thank you. It's been wonderful. I appreciate it. 
That wraps up our first part of our three-part episode discussing Clarissa Pinkola Estes, Women Who Run With the Wolves. Join us next time as we delve into two more chapters from the book. We're going to be looking at chapter seven, The Joyous Body, The Wild Flesh. And we're going to focus on La Mariposa, The Butterfly Woman. We're also going to be looking at chapter nine, Homing, Returning to Oneself, where we're going to be looking at the story of the seal skin, the soul skin. We're also going to be listening to a poem by Kate. And then we're also going to hear a song written and sung by Lucky, a special guest. As you probably have noticed, Amaya is not here for this three-part episode. Unfortunately, she is in California on location doing a few other podcasts for our show, and she cannot be with us. But she is definitely very missed, and she will be back soon. If you like our podcast, we really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. Leave us some comments. Rate us. If you want to learn more about us, you can go to our website, femsouth.com. You can read some of our blog posts. We already have four up right now. You can also read book reviews of the books that we've been reading in our book club and join in on the conversation. Until next time, you're on Fem South. Oh, 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 o